So then I hope we're all inspired to explore that treasure trove in our own quiet time. Uh, and I pray that God will speak today through me and the upcoming speakers too to help us all find a few more treasures uh, than we might find on our own. Now I'm not going to attempt to introduce the whole book of Psalms. It's huge. Uh, so at the start of this series I'm, I'm not going to do an overview if you like. But I'll say a couple of general things about the collection of writings we call the Psalms. So the first thing is that it's poetry. But Hebrew poetry doesn't rhyme. Even in the original, it doesn't rhyme. Uh, you can see me panicking here because this is, is not working, so my notes are... Yeah, we're working on it here. Uh, so it, it doesn't rhyme. It uses pairs of phrases or thoughts presented together. And sometimes those uh, prayers and phrases agree with each other. They support each other. Um, and sometimes they're different. I have a couple of You're going to have to bear with me. Sorry about this, a small technical failure. Here we go. Um, so here's some examples from Psalm 34 of a, a couplet, if you like. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. It's saying the same thing twice. Here's another one. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Other times in the Psalms, the two statements are in contrast, like this example, uh, also from Psalm 34. Lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So first of all, we can praise God for inspiring a book of poetry that works in any language. We don't have to wait for the rhyme of Hebrew or understand Hebrew. Uh, then there's the word Psalm itself. Um, the word for this collection of writings in the original Hebrew is a word that means praise. Um, in Greek text, they translated that word into samui. I've probably pronounced that wrong. Uh, and that means songs of praise. That's where we get our English word psalms from. So obviously, there's a lot of material in the psalms for our theme today, which is praise. It is songs of praise. And what a great thing. Now, dictionaries generally, generally will give two meanings for the word praise. The first one is about saying well done to each other, uh, expressing admiration for someone or something. And the second is about praise of a deity, in our case, praise of God. This second meaning is more than just saying well done, it's more than just admiration, isn't God great? It's not simply listing a load of great things about God, his character and what he's done. Praise here is an act of worship. The second meaning of praise is not like the common everyday definition. It's not just acknowledging that God is good, but it's going further. God is all-powerful. He is holy, perfect, the source of all goodness. Not just subjectively good, because I think so, but he's the ultimate expression of perfection. The definition that everything else falls short of. Now in the Old Testament, when God gave his chosen people a model for worship in, in the temple, um, and in the tabernacle through the wilderness, there's a really strong link between sacrifices and praise. The smell of burning incense, or burning grain, or, or meat offerings, 
that smell rising upwards is a representation of prayer and praises going up to heaven. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament was written to Jewish converts to Christianity and so it's no surprise that in that book there's a picture of praise which would have been so familiar to the audience. It says, through Jesus therefore let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of our lips that openly profess his name. The other thing about praise is joy. You can say well done to someone quite begrudgingly, but praise is joyful. The word that is translated as praise the Lord in the last few Psalms is a Hebrew word that you might recognize, hallelujah. Hallel here means not just praise, it means joyous praise in song. Psalm 68 says, shout for joy to God. Or in another translation, make a joyful noise. So praise is about joy. The Psalms then. Psalms have multiple authors. And it's not always clear who the author is. So if it says a Psalm of David, that doesn't necessarily mean written by David. It could be written for David or um, under David's reign. And the same with others like of Asaph or, um, or whatever. And the Psalms also cover a really long period of time, as Rachel said at the start, a thousand years. There are a lot of themes through the Psalms. Failure, success, fear, comfort, questioning, restoration, anger, peace, sadness and happiness. One thing I really like is that the Psalms end with a really strong theme of praise. After all those things, after the lamentations and some of the other things we'll get onto later in the series, they end with praise, with joyful praise. I'll read just the first verse or two from each one of the last five Psalms, starting with Psalm 146. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise Him. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. Praise the Lord. There's a theme, isn't it? And then the very last verse of the Psalms. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So although praises are found throughout the Psalms and that concentration at the end, there's only one Psalm that's specifically designated as a Psalm of praise. So those of you that has a Bible that has a little introduction at the start of each Psalm, or some of them, not all, uh, Psalm 145 says a Psalm of David uh, and a Psalm of praise. So it's the only one that's specifically a Psalm of praise. So that's the one I've selected to talk about today. Uh, but I'd like this song of praise to come from lots of different voices, not just one. So rather than one person reading this out of front, I want us all, not all of us, because there's only 22 verses, uh, 21 verses, but one split. 
So I'm going to hand some of these out and I'll do one or two a row. And if uh, you don't want to do it, hand it to someone else in your row. And some rows are going to get two. Otherwise we'll run out. I'm going to look at each row and see are there two or three people there that might want to volunteer you to get two. I think one might be enough there. Um, so as we say each one of these, um, sorry. Um, what I'd like is that we say them joyfully, as a song of praise. We say them, you know, one or two of us will say them out loud. But when you listen to it, Say it yourself as a song of praise. Uh, so can we start then with verse 1? I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Sorry, before we do that, we normally stand and sing. It's a song of praise. We don't know the tunes, we just say it. But let's all stand and say this again. Uh, Richard, shall we start again? Thank you. I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. <coughs> they speak of glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will not take anyone from works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness, and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, the Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might. So that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendour of your kingdom. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. Your kingdom is, ever, is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord upholds all who fall, and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, and loving toward all he has made. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, and all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name for ever and ever. Amen. Thank you all.
So another feature of uh, Hebrew poetry is wordplay and letterplay. Acrostics uh, appear a lot, where each line starts with a particular letter and it spells something. Um, Psalm 145, you wouldn't recognize it because it's in English, but in the original Hebrew, each line starts with successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, there are 22 letters. So let's go back to the first two letters of the alphabet, Aleph and Bet. Uh, verses 1 and 2. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. So the writer starts off by acknowledging the kingship and lordship of God. It's a little like how the Lord's prayer starts. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And the song we sang earlier before Andrew prayed, Jesus, we enthrone you, we proclaim you are king. That's how it starts. And then the writer responds to this. This statement of fact elicits a response. I will exalt you. And then what about these for some New Year's resolutions? The writer is considering praise over time. He says, every day and forever and ever. Not later. Not occasionally, not until I run out of steam, run out of willpower. Every day I will praise you. I will praise your name forever and ever. Now you might have heard advice to, to make your New Year's resolutions small, achievable, little steps at a time. But here the psalmist is inspired by the greatness and majesty of God to give it everything. Hold nothing in reserve, to commit unreservedly in response to a God who reigns and sustains and loves every day, forever and ever. In a way, this doesn't seem to the psalmist to be a choice. It seems to be the only possible response to such a great God. It's the only response to his power, his provision, his holiness and compassion. So if step one is acknowledging that God is king, then the obvious, unavoidable and necessary next step is continual and eternal praise. Now in other Psalms, writers get into detail about particular things to praise God for or uh, attributes of God. But here I get the sense that the psalmist is impatient to get on with this. It, the greatness of God isn't questioned in his mind. It doesn't need to be justified or explained. It's almost taken as read. So a single verse will do. Verse 3. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can value. Now if you read this again as a short statement of fact to introduce the next section, then verses 4 to 12 are the response to that statement. And that's where I want to focus this morning. So in this psalm, and remember it's the only psalm that's specifically introduced as a psalm of praise, the response to God's greatness isn't just personal praise. It starts perhaps as a personal response of gratitude or wonder, reverence, but quickly it spills over. This isn't something to be kept to yourself. Like in Psalm 23, 
He imagines that his life is a cup to be filled with God's blessing and it's overflowing. God's blessings aren't just enough, just enough, but excessive abundance. And any blessings that flow through us to others don't diminish our own supply. They just make it taste a little sweeter. So in Psalm 145, we read, I don't know if we just read it, I think we hear it almost, we experience and feel this joyful, worshipful response. One generation commends your works to another and they tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works and I will proclaim your great deeds. And then further on in verses 10 and 11, your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might. I'll just go over a, a few words that appeared there. Tell, speak, tell, proclaim, tell, speak. <coughs> this is not praise as a private thing. This is individuals or a community, a generation, whose response to God's greatness is that they must share it. Like when we get good news, Exam results we wanted, or we have presents at Christmas, good news about a relative who has been ill, or a funny story, like when my brother drove 100 miles to pick up my aunt from the airport, but he was a day early. <laughs> we can't help but tell others. We want to share our joy, and that's the sense I got here. Children are much better at this than adults. Uh, maybe particularly, dare I say it, in, in the UK, where a culture of reserved modesty sometimes dulls our childlike joy. But we who have been so blessed by God and called to be childlike should be so full of joy that we can't keep it to ourselves. No, not, not, not should be so full of joy, must be so full of joy. Matthew chapter 28 verses 19 and 20 are often described as the Great Commission. Now, in my language, that's not just our orders, that's our authority as well. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. The first song we sang, Praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. And in Romans chapter 10, it says this. How can they believe in the one of whom they've never heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? Here's the full context. And I've, I've put together two different translations here. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But how shall they ask him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe if they've never heard? I can they hear about him unless someone tells them. And then the message paraphrase says, that's why scripture exclaims, a sight to take your breath away, grand processions of people telling all the good things of God. So back in Psalm 145, there's no doubt either. Why do we tell and speak and proclaim? Verse 12 has the answer. So that all people may know your mighty acts. 
and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Our God is not a trend or a neat idea or a crutch for the weak. Not our God, the God. He is the almighty maker and sustainer of all things, God of everything and everyone. Christianity is not a faith tradition. It's a personal relationship with the Almighty. We are called to serve this God. We are called to bring this good news to all people. I love praise music. Here in this church, whether playing or singing, I've enjoyed brilliant praise songs of even today. Felt the emotion, felt the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've been to bigger events. The big church day out, it's now renamed the big church festival. Um, Spring Harvest or David's Tent, great events and warmly recommended. But if praise stops when the music stops, we've stopped before reaching the destination. Well, what if you feel this is hard? It's hard to stand up, it's hard to speak out. Well, you're not alone and you're not unusual. You're not lacking in something. It's not as if you're not good enough if you, feel you're, if you feel it was hard to stand up. If you could rely on your own strength and confidence, you'd be missing the point of dependence and submission. But remember the last line of the Great Commission that I read earlier. Now, these are the last recorded words of Christ on earth in Matthew's account. So probably really important. Jesus says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The next part of the psalm speaks to how we can depend on the promises of God, and certainly on the part of the words of Christ. So verse 13, the Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up those who are bowed down. Those who fall? that be you or me? It could certainly have been David. The Lord is near all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth, he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. He watches over all who love him. So, let me bring this together. Praise isn't mere gratitude and admiration. <clears throat> it's not just a good song that transports you to another place. In Psalm 145, praise is a reaction to the greatness, holiness and love of God. Not an optional reaction. The necessary next step. Verse 5 says, I will meditate on your wonderful work. I will make time to deepen my relationship with and understanding of God. And then praise is an overflowing of joy. Joy that can't be contained. Joy that must be shared. A consuming sense of devotion because of the best salvation from the worst phase. A reverent <coughs> love for God which combined with a holy love for others lights a fire that cannot be put out. A fire that can't be hidden, it shines on a hill. 
And then all of this, our fears and our failures, are met head on by God's promises. Christ's parting words to be with us always. With us in the good times when praise is easy, and with us in the hard times when praise is difficult. I wasn't sure how to end this, so I'm going to end it with lots of different things. Um, bear with me. I'm going to start with Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. I thought about ending with Matthew 28, the Great Commission. <coughs> then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Well, I'm actually going to end in Psalm 145 and the New Year's resolutions. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. And if you'd like to make that your New Year's resolutions, then join me in saying, Amen, either out loud or in your hearts. Amen. Amen. Uh, I play a closing song, let's meditate on God's wonderful works and on our response.